All right, so we have, uh, we're in a series called Peace House, and we are looking at the question, how can a home bring peace to a neighborhood? We've already looked at a lot of different scripture. We really started uh, with the first mention of this God kind of peace word in the Hebrew shalom, in Greek, erene. Uh, the, the shalom peace of God, the first time we see that associated with the name of God is when Gideon has an interaction with God. And that's been an introduction point for us. And Gideon's uh, living in a time where his family and friends are being dominated by other people, stolen from other people. There's violence going on. And God sends a messenger to Gideon to give him instructions for how to bring about change. And Gideon says, you know, my life experiences of violence and being taken advantage of don't line up with what God is saying is possible. I don't have what it takes to bring change. And yet, I have interacted with God, who is about peace. God's got this. God has what it takes to bring peace where there is now no peace. So let's do this. So that's the the starting point where we have Yahweh Shalom, that introduction that we get. And I'm going to look at this paragraph on the screen to give you a sense of where we have been and where we will finish this out in the coming weeks. How can a home bring peace to a neighborhood? Well, there is a peace, a healthy state that we can find in Jesus. We can be safe and sound, able to rest and function at full capacity, complete with our guilt removed and free to enjoy life. Our God wants us to receive it and share it with others. We should understand this, pray for it, and work towards such a peace in ourselves, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our city. In this way, we will pursue peaceful relationships inside our homes through forgiveness. Jesus motivates us to love neighbors by listening to them in an attempt to understand them and build relationships. This listening works best when we host people with food and offer to help them in what they're doing. From this context, we may create new personal relationships and repair broken ones. We will work toward natural peace and we will bring the spiritual peace of our God. Our homes will be a gathering place for our church family to grow. We will pray for our neighbors and our neighborhood. Our homes will bring peace to the neighborhood. That's what we believe. That's what we have been walking through, talking through. Last week we wrapped up in, in talking about helping with conflict resolution and bringing peace between people that don't currently have peace. And we talked about how empathy is required, uh, in, in that pursuit, how you have to have an intent to understand other people and that when you come to understand someone else, you become more aware of what's going on in their life, what what could be better and and what they're suffering. And this is really important because a, a biblical translation of this shalom word peace includes the things that I've already mentioned, but it certainly includes this concept of being complete or whole, like you complete me. Some of you will get that reference. 
In a physical analogy sense, like the, the systems of the body are not deficient in anything. Yeah, if you've ever known somebody who's gone through an iron deficiency, different deficiencies can affect the body negatively. This shalom piece, this God kind of piece, means that there is no deficiency. And it specifically includes, in it, and in its word picture and in its vocabulary, complex systems. And this could even refer to somebody's well-being in their personal life. So it's important to ask ourselves and to ask others, are you at peace? Life is complex. It's full of moving parts and relationships and circumstances. And when any of these things are missing or out of alignment, life breaks down and needs to be repaired, needs to be restored. To bring shalom is to make complete or to restore. So it's not just that we stop the fighting, but it's that we start working together for each other's benefit. That is shalom. It's a God kind of peace. So, I'm hoping that we are not just taking our own idea of what peace means into this, but we are instead looking for what God meant by it. And I want you to understand that a part of my intent in in this, because we've thrown a lot of scripture at you in the previous weeks, which is why, by the way, those scriptures are up on our website, cityharborchurch.com. When you go to the podcast page, you can see the previous week's notes and the scriptures that are there. My attempt is to establish a biblical theology on this topic that will help us understand God's plan. It'll help affirm you and the good works that you are doing. will help us bring some focus to future steps that we should take. Bring clarity to us as a church family about our identity and our purpose. Why do we do what we do? I want to help bring some clarity and some purpose in an explicit way for us. Because as we pursue the will of God here and now, the kingdom of God that will last forever is what we are working toward. You can say, I agree, that's good, truth. Any of those things are acceptable responses. I want to provide some direction for our next steps. Some of you have observed that I'm very slow to tell you what to do in personal conversations. Now, part of that is because I have a great respect for the relationship between you and God. Because it is you that will one day stand before Jesus and give account for what you did with your life after coming to faith. Not me. I have a respect for that. And I have a respect for the fact that God has created you with gifts and talents. Some that are yet undiscovered. And one of my favorite things to do is to help you discover those things. Those things that come easier to you than they do to others. And passions. To discover those passions. I love to do that. And I have a respect for the fact that God has placed you in a home, in a neighborhood, at a workplace, at a school, where God wants you to have influence. Now, if you came to me and said, Pastor Ben, how can I help you? How can I help the church? My list is limitless of things that you could do. But you may notice that I am very slow to ask you to do stuff. Because what you are called to do as a person is a higher priority in your life when you stand before God 
And I do believe that as you grow as a believer and start to discover how much the church is important to God, you will start to include that in your personal priorities. And then you will come to me having discovered that personal will. And in this relationship, start to include what is going on in the church and through the church into that. You start to place the church as a pretty high part of your priority. This time when we gather every week as we started this morning with prayer at 930 and we get into the worship, we are doing things that are God's ideas that are revealed in the scripture, not things that we think think are good ideas on our own. This time and space, and when we gather in homes and small groups called life groups, this, in my humble opinion, should be your top priority. I have disagreed with many people that felt that way. So I totally get it if you hate me in this moment. But I have found that this belief brings more fulfillment than pursuing my own desires. This is forever. This is more important than a lot of things we spend our time and energy on. When I unlock the door here at 7 o'clock in the morning, every Sunday, there should be somebody here with that value system. This is more important than the rest. Because... So much of what we spend time and energy on will not last forever. And building up your spirit, strengthening your spirit so that you can shine the light of Jesus to those that he's put in your life around you, that's what will last forever. And leading them into next steps of following Jesus, that's what you can't do in heaven. I look forward to the fact that I will get to surf in heaven scuba dive, all the things that if time and money were no object, I would be doing on this morning instead of being here with you. If we're honest. I can do that in heaven. I can't do this. It's important. So, oh, Pastor Ben, why so serious? You have people around you who don't have peace. I want to talk today about taking action, following God and His redemptive work. We've got to understand what God's about so that we can get involved in the things that He's already doing so that we can have the most fulfillment, the most joy, the most peace. Are you with me? That's counterintuitive because what comes to us in our immature sinful nature and human nature is I got great ideas. My ideas are the best. (laughs) Right? That comes naturally. Ask any two-year-old. As we grow up, we start to realize that we don't have it figured out. And so what I want to do is I want to bring our attention to what God is about. Somebody say, thank you. All right. Psalm 68. I'm going to start in verse 3. But let the godly rejoice, let them be glad in God's presence, let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and to His name. Sing loud praises to Him who rides the clouds. That's not something just for a few of us, it's something for all y'all. His name is the Lord, rejoice in His presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. 
God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. This is God's shalom. This is what God is about. And we see Jesus' words, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. See in James 3.18, peacemakers plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Psalm 34 and verse 14, search for peace and work to maintain it. Romans 14 and verse 17, the kingdom of God, that's what's forever, is a life of righteousness, healthy relationship with God and other people, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah Chapter 29, verses 7 through 14, verse 7 zeroes in on work for the peace of the city. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. We need to be taking action to follow God in His redemptive work. And sometimes this is activities that are more ordinary than you might think. You know, you might know how to change a tire... And you might know people who don't know how to change a tire. And by you teaching them, by you giving them a skill, you can be about God's redemptive work. Some of you were not expecting that today. <laughs> Psalm 68, verse, uh, we just read that. So this shalom, I want to put some thoughts and ideas for you, and I'm going to need five minutes more than usual today. Because this is really six messages in one. <laughs> One of my heroes, a believer in Jesus who took great pride in how many of his pl- basketball players that came through the uh, UCLA program went on to be pastors, who was the pastor of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Luau Sender, said this, you cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. Now that thought comes out of a biblical idea, God's idea and Jesus' idea. See, it's easy in our immature sinful nature to do stuff for people that do stuff for us. Easy for me to do stuff for Rebecca's birthday because of everything. I'm never going to outgive her. She's ridiculous. Okay. Just relax. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was writing about William Wilberforce, both of whom you see pictured there. William Wilberforce um, was a force of nature. Um, after he came to faith in God, he was already in Parliament in England, and, and there's some good books written about him and a movie that's been done, Amazing Grace. He was very significantly involved in eliminating slavery in England. And uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this, One of the best ways to face this problem of self-centeredness is to discover some cause and some purpose some loyalty outside of yourself, and give yourself to that. You are then able to live because you have given your life to something that is meaningful. You rise above this self-absorption. We see that biography as a running commentary of this. We see Wilberforce. We see him somehow satisfying his desire, absorbing his life in the slave trade and those who are victims of the slave trade. We must live for a purpose that is greater than our own desires. After the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mr. Rogers helped families learn that there, quote, there is just so much a child can take without it being overwhelming to him, unquote. He trained families to listen to children, to watch them play, to observe how they are doing and include them in the family's 
the family's particular, quote, ways of coping with the problems that present themselves anytime, but particularly now in this very difficult time for our nation, unquote. After being concerned about how the TV show The Hulk would teach children to process their own anger, he guided the show's stars, uh, including Lou Frigno, in communicating that to children that, and he had them say, it's okay to be angry and it's okay to let it out as long as we don't hurt anybody and as long as we don't hurt ourselves. Mr. Rogers helped teach self-control. He said, quote, the good feeling of self-control is yet another facet of self-esteem. It feels really good when we can stop before doing something we shouldn't do, end quote. In our neighborhoods, there are families that need this sort of help. You're thinking, I need that sort of help. Well, you, you may be one step further along in that journey than they are. Nobody smacked me this morning, so. <laughs> Mr. Rogers uh, further wrote, I sought out stories of other people who were poor in spirit, and I felt for them. I started to look behind the things that people did and said, and little by little concluded that St. Exupery was absolutely right. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Mr. Rogers continued, So after a lot of sadness, I became a, I began a lifelong search for what is essential. What it is about my neighbor that doesn't meet the eye. Listen, we must be listening, learning, and looking for ways to be helpful. Bless you. Randy Woodley had this very important quote from a biblical perspective of shalom peace. The kind of peace shalom represents, oh, okay, the kind of peace shalom represents is active and engaged. Shalom is communal, holistic, and tangible. There is no private or partial shalom. The whole community must have shalom or no one has shalom. Shalom is not for the many while a few suffer, nor is it for the few while many suffer. See, I believe this, and that's one reason why I set out as a peacemaker to be engaged with people during the unrest, and as people shouted, no justice, no peace, that cry comes from a biblical cry for shalom. Sung Chan Ra who I got the pleasure to meet this year, grew up in West Baltimore City. He said something that I thought was very powerful in his book, Prophetic Lament, about the book of Lamentations in your Bible, a book maybe you haven't visited. The church has the power to bring healing in a racially fragmented society. That power is not found in an emphasis on strength, but in suffering and weakness. The difficult topic of racial reconciliation requires the intersection of celebration and suffering. The theology of celebration will always be more attractive than the theology of suffering. But if lament were offered to a suffering world, the hope that is woven into lament offers the possibility of genuine reconciliation. Here's what I believe. God's redemptive work will lead us away from self-centeredness and toward compassionate empathy in action. 
There's, God's redemptive work will lead us away from self-centeredness and toward compassionate empathy in action. Remember, it was Jesus who, when he was asked what the most important of everything in the Bible was, quoted, love God with all you've got and love your neighbor the same way you take care of yourself. See, peace in our relationship with God brings a changing in our identity. Our understanding of who we are, it brings us to a state of healing. It brings us to a state of freedom found in Him. And it should bring us to that, the series we did earlier this year on the story that He followed. This, this answer that He gave, He follows it with the story of the Good Samaritan. With, which, as you should know by now, requires compassion, courage, creativity, commitment, and cash and credit. We should be asking ourselves as we approach our neighbors, in what way are they in need? How does God want you to be a part of the solution? Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Continuing on verses 10 and 15. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Be careful how you live. Careful consideration before action requires wisdom. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And even brag about their foolishness. That's Proverbs 13, verse 16. Every one of us gets an opportunity to be a steward of this life, including today. And every one of us has an opportunity to ask ourselves, in what way am I getting involved in what God is doing already? I think sometimes we get frustrated by getting a little bit too self-focused and looking at our belly button by saying, God, what's your purpose for my life? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe what the question should be is, God, is what, what is your purpose? How can I get involved with that? Because the truth of the matter is, is that God has set you in a home and in a neighborhood where he's already at work. It's true, and it's reassuring because it, it, it helps remind me that it's not all up to me, that it's God that does the heavy lifting. So here's some questions that I think we should consider before we take action, and then I'm going to give you the four points in two minutes. What do I see that doesn't look like a God kind of peace? How can the situation be brought into good health? Is God asking me to get involved? Do I understand the distinction between my opinion and what good health looks like from God's perspective and from their perspective? A really good book is When Helping Hurts. It's so easy to look at someone who looks different than you or whose life is different from you and and want to get them to live like you and look like you and smell like you and talk like you. Guess what? Not God's idea. You don't see Peter turning to Philip and Andrew and go, y'all need to learn how to fish better. And where were you when I was cutting the dude's ear off? God has not called you to fix them. God has not called you to tell them what your opinion of what they should be doing in their life. But God has called you to carefully consider what God's peace looks like. And is there something in your hand that you can do to be helpful? That's really good. That's really good. So, here's your four words for the day. Share, give, 
defend, and party. You didn't expect that one today either. Changing tires and partying, right? Okay, so just real quick, share. Compassion, we've talked about before, to weep when someone else is weeping. Or when you're having a bad day, to laugh when they're laughing. That's compassion. I'm sharing a p- compassion. I am, that's what the, the Lord of the Rings, right? Samwise is trying to share the load. Share the load with them. Come alongside them. Learn what's going on in their life and offer to cry when they're sad. Are you with me? That matters way more than your opinion coming out of your mouth. Share. Give. Be be involved in a God kind of provision. Great program to get involved with is Meals on Wheels. They're taking food into the elderly, into their homes, and sit down with them and just be with them for a period of time. Very easy nonprofit to get involved with that's doing, already doing God's redemptive work. Teach someone a skill that they don't already have. Teach them how to change a tire. Teach them how to balance a budget. Maybe learn how to balance a budget, then teach them how to balance a budget. <laughs> teach them some of the God-given skills that you already have. You're one step further along than they are in their relationship with God. Share your story with them. Give them some inspiration for that. Loan them a tool. Give them a jacket. Give them some food. All the possessions you have are not going to last forever. Better off giving them away to someone else than putting them in the dump. Oh, Pastor Benny. Give it away. I don't have enough time to unpack this, but defend. A part of a God kind of shalom is coming to the defense of people that need it. It should not have been African Americans that needed to stand up for civil rights that were at the front of the line in Memphis. In Selma. Are you with me? A God kind of shalom is where people that have the ability defend those who don't. When you hear a stereotype statement, question it. When you hear inappropriate behavior, question it. Gently, with caring for the person who's doing it. Are you with me? I with people all the time. Jesus Christ. Oh, where? Where? I didn't hear his voice. Is he around? It always works. People always laugh. Oh, nice dad joke. Yeah, well, Jesus is a real person. Now, a lot of you, you've been around me in the community. I don't get up. uh, Profanity from a non-believer does not bother me one iota. It, it just doesn't bother me. Smoking, abusing themselves in different ways physically, with chemicals and different things. I'm more concerned about their heart and their spirit. Are you with me? But we have people that need to be defended. There are people in this room who have stood up against racism and suffered the consequences. My daughter among them. Party. We should get better at throwing parties. If some of you have been in my house for Thanksgiving, there are 27 people in my house for Thanksgiving not that long ago. I had a police officer that really hated the people that he locked up, and I had people that came out of our prison ministry. That's fantastic! 
Y'all should be, if we're pursuing shalom in our community, we should be inviting into our home, out to eat, whatever it is, out into the conversation on the corner, people with a wide diversity, connect them together, throw a party, be good at throwing a party. If we spent more time and energy on throwing parties, then our opinions and the things that we are frustrated with, we would be happier. It works. If what you're focused on is the things in this world that are wrong, that are overwhelming, that are sad, that are negative, and instead of the solution, you are going to be frustrated and sad and angry and negative. And guess what? You're going to be different then. You're not going to be like the Lord Jesus, whom people that were far from God wanted to be around. You're not going to be like the Lord Jesus, whom children wanted to be around. But we will be those grouchy, judgmental Christians that no one wants to be around. Are you with me? So if that means that you take in less of the the news of the week, if that means that you adjust the input that's coming into your life to help your spirit get a chance to breathe, to help your spirit focus on some faith, come on somebody, I'm preaching this morning. If you start to make some adjustments in your life so that your spirit can be full of joy and full of faith and full of peace, maybe your neighbors will want to be around you. You can throw a party and they'll be like, that person's different. I'm still ticked off. How come you're not so jacked up? This stuff works if you work it. <laughs> now, I do, I do understand that we live in a broken world where evil, I took 10 minutes, I'm sorry, where evil is real. I do understand that. And I do understand that we shouldn't be ignorant. We shouldn't have our head in the sand. But Romans 12 has a very important advice for us. Do not become overcome by evil but overcome evil by doing good. Paul writes in Ephesians about the good works that God has prepared for you. We don't get saved or forgiven or we're not more welcome in this place because we did anything good. But out of a thank you, Jesus, we can do something good and we can make a difference. We can take action and follow God in his redemptive work of peace. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are so good. Your love for us is faithful, it's patient, it's kind. You never give up on us. And that nothing... Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too complicated for you. Nothing is too broken for you. You are the God of miracles. You are a God who can bring peace where there is now no peace. Lord, forgive us for where we've not taken action. Forgive us for where we get overwhelmed. Help us be a strength inside of us that in you we can know peace and we can share it with others. I thank you for that today in the name of Jesus. Amen.